God's Word, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of the living God. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God." For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. This is the word of the living God, and we say thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated, and let's pray together. Now, living Lord, we pray that the word of Christ would be clear, that it would be that word which is our food once more this day. We pray that you would help us. We pray that we might know the voice of our shepherd herein, and we pray that you might work, Holy Spirit, in the hearts of your people as the word goes forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Puritan, Samuel Bolton, who wrote a book which I commend to every one of you entitled The True Bounds of Christian Freedom. It's a classic. should be on every one of our shelves. Bolton writes these words, quote, It would save a great deal of trouble to say we are free from the law as that from which life might be expected on the condition that due obedience was rendered. Let me say that one more time. It would save a great deal of trouble to say we are free from the law as that from which life might be expected on the condition that due obedience was rendered. But take it, as do many, in the sense that we are freed from the law as a covenant. When we read that the law is abrogated, done away with, and that we are freed from the law, it is to be understood of the law as a covenant, not as a rule. End quote. Tonight I want to speak to you about a rule not a covenant, borrowing on Bolton's words here, the law of God as a rule and not as a covenant. Let me begin firstly then by asking you a question, believer. What are you expecting from your obedience? You are a Christian, at least those of you in this place that have rested in Christ alone for salvation. 
You seek to glorify God. You seek to obey. What is it that you are expecting from your obedience? Let me give you a principle to consider, and then we will walk through our text. Here is the principle. The law killed you in Christ. Now, you are in a covenant with another. Let me say that one more time. The law of God killed you in Christ. Now, you are in covenant with another. What is it exactly that you are looking to your obedience to give you? I want us to see two things tonight, and I'm just simply borrowing on the Puritans' words. Firstly, the law as a covenant. Secondly, the law as a rule. The law as a covenant and the law as a rule. We don't have time to look at all of the references, but you need to know that the word law is used in the Bible in many different ways. Sometimes it means principle. So, for instance, in the book of Romans, Paul will say, I find this law at work within me, this principle, this reality. Sometimes the word law is a word that stands in for the entirety of the Bible. The psalmists, for instance, will sometimes speak of the law of God and mean the word of God. Sometimes the law is that covenant which the old covenant people of God were under, defined as the Ten Commandments along with various particular or positive kinds of rules. And then sometimes the law means that moral, natural, an abiding set of rules which is a reflection of God's character. And it is that law that I want us to consider tonight. You may say, well, where can I find that law? Well, the Bible says it was written on the heart of Adam. It was summarized for the Old Covenant people in the Ten Commandments. Jesus teaches on it in the Sermon on the Mount, and he dies to uphold it. It is the moral law of God, the abiding law of God. It is God's Glorious and good commands for all peoples everywhere. So if you obey this law, what are you expecting? Said differently, if you are looking to this law in any way, what are you looking at it for? Firstly, then, the law is a covenant. Notice that Paul begins in verse 1 of chapter 7 with that famous phrase that he uses a lot in the book of Romans, do you not know? (laughs) He's writing a letter to a group of individuals who seem to be forgetful, and we are forgetful, are we not? Do you not know, brethren or brothers and sisters, that the law has dominion or rule or command over you as long as you live? The law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. If you were to continue to move down in this chapter, Romans 7, you would see in verse 12 the following words, Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Verse 12 states that the law is holy and just and good, but because we are born sinful, all that it can do is bring condemnation upon us. Insofar as as getting something from it. All that the law of God can do for a sinner, all that the law of God can do in provision to the sinner is provide condemnation. The law has no means laid out 
for the ultimate forgiveness of sins. Oh yes, the old covenant provided sacrifices that were, in a sense, helpful for the people of God for a time and for a season. But all that the law can do for you, if you are looking to the law, is bring condemnation upon you. So I ask you, what are you expecting from your obedience? Now, Paul then uses an illustration, doesn't he? Look at verses 2 and 3. He uses the illustration of marriage. He says this, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. But notice verse 3. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. If she's under the first, then she's an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. So this woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if he dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Now Paul is going to take this illustration of marriage and apply it to the law of God. He's going to say, essentially, that once your first husband dies, you are no longer bound by that husband. And you may marry another related to the Christian. Once you are by death, brought out from under the rule of the law, you are free. You're free to marry another. Let me say it this way, and then we'll pick it apart for a moment. Christians, those who are in Christ, are not spiritual covenant breakers. Now, we'll talk about the law. We'll talk about its goodness. We'll talk about how we are indeed under it as a rule and not as a covenant. But hear this at the beginning, brothers and sisters. If you are in Christ, you are not a spiritual covenant breaker. You are not seen by God as one who is out of covenant with God. You are not seen as one who has broken covenant with God because you are in Christ. What are you expecting from your obedience? Now verse 4 tells us why it is that Paul uses this illustration of marriage and more importantly moves us into the statement of the law. He says in verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. Do you see what he's doing? The wife who's married to her husband must stay married to him until there is a death. And once there is a death, she is free to marry another. Now he's saying, you are that woman, Christian, You also have become dead, not to a physical husband, but to the law through the body of Christ. Now, how did you become dead through the body of Christ? The Greek phrase there could be translated this way. You were put to death. How was it that you died? Well, Paul tells us, through the body of Christ. Now, if you're a Christian, this is what happened. The law to which you were bound, perfect obedience. It owned you, it ruled you, but you were a lawbreaker. You were a covenant breaker. The law as a condition of justification 
constantly held over you that you were a failure. Strive as you may, you were already under the law as a lawbreaker. But the law finally had its way with you because the penalty for breaking God's law is death. And through the death of the body of Christ, as Paul says in verse 4, you were put to death. I wish we had time this evening to spend hours talking about union with Christ. You can read of it in other passages. But the believer, even before his or her birth, was united to Christ. His death has become your death. And so his death means that you are no longer bound by the rule of the law as a covenant. You need no longer look to the law for your justification. Turn over to Galatians for just a moment. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 19. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 19, Paul says this of himself and ultimately for every believer, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Now, how did Paul, through the law, die to the law? Well, the law pronounced a sentence upon him. You are a sinner. You are a lawbreaker. The ten sweet words that reflect God's character. No other gods before me. Honor my name. Honor my day. Honor authority. Honor life. Honor marriage. Honor property. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. Those things were said over me, and I was a lawbreaker, and thus I deserved to die. So how did Paul die to the law? How did the law kill him? Because when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the sentence placed on him was the death sentence of the law for everyone who would ever trust in him. So Paul can say in Galatians, I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Notice what Paul then says next in our text, Romans 7, 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. Who are we married to? We're no longer married to the law. We're no longer under the marriage covenant, if you will, of the law. To him who, raised, who was raised from the dead. That's who you're married to. Christ is the one to whom we are now married spiritually. So I ask you again, what are you looking to the law for? What are you looking at your obedience to give you? Are you looking at the law for life? Now I know that if you're in this place tonight and you've trusted in Christ and you're resting on him, you know and you will say and you will trumpet to the world that it's not by works, it's all of grace, but functionally, Monday through Saturday, what are you looking at the law for? Do you measure your standing with God according to your current obedience? Have you embraced the sole glorious gospel word of grace and yet functionally continued to rest upon your old husband to provide for you the relationship that you stand in with your new husband? Samuel Bolton again says this very poignantly, quote, until the law kills you and you are dead to it, you will look for righteousness and life through obedience to it. Until the law kills you, 
and you are dead to it. You will look for righteousness and life through obedience to it. But when the law has killed you and showed you it is dead to you and can do you no good so that you can expect nothing from it, then you will look for life by Christ alone. Now maybe you're here tonight and you are looking to your own works for life. You're looking to your own works for righteousness, for your standing before God. You're looking to the law to save you and your own ability to stand in the presence of God through the righteousness of the law. Paul says, and echoing his words, the Puritan of the 1600s, Bolton says, hey, until you realize that the law will not provide life for you, you will continue to look to it for life. But once you realize that the law has killed you, you will no longer look to the law for life. How often do you look at your current obedience for your standing with God? I don't mean that you recognize that there's a sin struggle in your life. I don't mean that you you recognize, oh, I I failed the living God. I I broke this commandment. I feel like relationally there's something there. I need to get this right with the Lord. I'm not talking about that daily life of repentance. I mean the deep struggle that many believers experience where we're looking to Christ alone for salvation, but we're living constantly looking at our obedience for comfort. You're riding in your car and you think a horrible thought of someone. You're on vacation, and all of the memories of your past sinful ways flood your mind. You realize that someone offers you a word of encouragement, and you have that quick, fleeting thought, yes, I love to be praised. You press an argument too far on social media. You're impatient with your children. You treat your husband or your wife horribly, then you look at the law of God and you say, how wretched a Christian I am. What you ought to do instead is to look to Christ and say, this whole Christ, to use the words of others, the one who perfectly kept God's law and perfectly paid the price for my law breaking is the one that I am united to. I embrace him. Lord Christ, I embrace you not just for justification, but for sanctification. I'm embracing Christ as the one who perfectly obeyed in my stead. Therefore, my standing before the Lord, even as the sin is in the back of my mind, is in Christ because I'm not looking to the law for my standing before the living God. Are you looking to the law for covenantal faithfulness? Again, I ask you, I press you this evening, believer. Wherein lies your security? Wherein lies your comfort? It ought not be, it cannot be, it must not be in your obedience. We are those who say, Christ and Christ alone 
But then in the same breath, Monday through Saturday, we begin to look at our own obedience. It's like the Lord's Day, the blessed Lord's Day is that eternal option to look at God, to sing his praise, to hear his word, to come and to see his face in the sacrament. But then somehow Monday through Saturday, we then go home and we look in the mirror. And we say to ourselves, I'm a failure as a Christian. Perhaps this may be a little bit too exaggerated, but your entire Christianity is Christ, and he has not failed. Some of you might be thinking, yes, but shouldn't we obey? Well, we're talking about the law as a covenant. Give me a moment, and we'll talk about the law as a rule. (laughs) Yes, you should obey. But before we get to the obedience part for the glory of God, I want us to be pressed by the words of Paul. You and I who are in Christ are not spiritual covenant breakers. Look to Christ. Embrace a whole Christ, as Sinclair Ferguson would say. Embrace him for justification. Embrace him for sanctification. When you constantly see yourself failing, embrace Christ again. Latch on to him with the arms of faith and say, this whole Christ has done everything necessary to save me. There will not be a single day in all of eternity where I will look at my own obedience and say, that is worthy of praise. Christ is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Now you may say, yes, but isn't God going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? Yes. As he looks at you standing by his son. Now, notice what Paul says in verse 4 at the end. You're married to someone else. Who? To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Now we're seeing the purpose. Yes, God intends to birth fruit, to grow fruit in you. John Calvin says that that fruit here is holiness and righteousness. God will be birthing and growing fruit in you. But before you get to the fruit, look at the glorious root that attaches you. That's Christ. How often we think that our life in Christianity is a life of striving to obey. Our life as Christians is looking at Christ, seeing that we have been killed to the law. The law killed you. The sentence over you was that you were a murderer, you were an adulterer, you were a liar, you were a thief, you were a Sabbath breaker. Therefore, you deserve death. And you got death in the body of Christ. Therefore, I ask you again, what are you expecting from your obedience? Now, Paul says this in verse 5. For when we were in the flesh meaning when we were unconverted, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. The law excited evil within us and that fruit led to death. The law could only kill us if we were to stay married to it. All of our strivings would amount to nothing because if we are under the law as a covenant, it's over. Paul says, you are married to another. So as the Puritan says, it would indeed save a great deal of trouble. 
if we would just all understand that we should not look to the law for life. The law as a covenant will only provide death. But there's a second theme, isn't there? And that is the law as a rule. We saw in verse 5 that there was a purpose, or excuse me, verse 4, that we should bear fruit to God. Now look at verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Notice Paul says, we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. The law killed us. Except it did so in Christ. Your sinful record was punished in Christ. You you really need to meditate on this regularly. Christ didn't die for some amorphous list of sins out there. Christ wasn't offered as a simple sacrifice for sins that somehow, hopefully, would kind of tip the scales. Christ died for your sins. Your sins were credited to Christ, every last one of them, and he took them to the grave. Why did Jesus not just suffer for a little while, but suffer all the way to death? Because he got your penalty coming from the law. He died for your sins. He died for my sins, not this amorphous list. So when you see the worst of your past baggage, when you see the worst of your thoughts and the desires of your heart, tomorrow morning, remember, those are things for which Christ died. How many Christians are there in the world today who think Jesus died for sins, but at some point, he's going to get tired. At some point, the cup is going to run over. At some point, the game is over because I've got a mountain of sins. I don't care if your mountain of sins was a Mount Everest of sins. That mountain rested on Christ. Be gone with the idea, Christian, that it is some list of sins and that you are the chief of sinners. (laughs) The man writing this text under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit said, I am the chief of sinners. If he says, I'm the chief... Christ died for me. May I humbly ask you, why do you pridefully, why do you pridefully say you are the worst sinner? Embrace Christ moment by moment. The one who extends his hands to you says to you, I died for those sins. Run to me in repentance. But you know, if we're not careful, We'll say, Paul says in Romans 7 that we died to the law, therefore we can tuck that away in a closet and never deal with it again. But interestingly enough, Paul has already said something about the law. Go back three chapters, Romans 3, verse 31. Speaking boldly of the glorious gospel of grace, he says this in verse 31 of Romans 3, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, We establish the law. It would be nearly four chapters later where Paul would speak to this husband-wife relationship and being killed by the law and having a new husband who is Christ. So what does this mean? Well, it means, as the Puritans before us have said very well, we are not under the law as a covenant. 
It is not the ground of our standing before God. But we are still under the law as a rule for living. Look to the law, believer, for how to glorify God in your flesh. Look to the law to understand what it means to grow in holiness. But do not look to the law to give you life. Christ has given you life. He has placed his law, Hebrews 8, inside your heart by the Spirit. Therefore, as Paul says in Romans 7, 6, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. Notice there's a service. Notice there's a rule. Paul will say in the next chapter, in Romans chapter 8, everybody loves Romans 8, verse 1. (laughs) There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We all love that verse, as we ought, but listen to what verse 4 says. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We're resting not on the law, but on Christ, and then taking that law as a rule and living by it to glorify him. But we're never, in all of our strivings to glorify our precious Savior, we're never looking at our obedience for comfort before the living God. Now you may say, well, there are days where I see obedience in my life and I'm thankful for it. Yes, that's wonderful. And you may say, and I I get a little comfort from it because I used to not want to obey and, and now I do want to obey. And yes, there is some comfort there. But that moment... A day, perhaps an hour, for some of us, maybe even a couple weeks. I used to do these horrible things and now I don't and I want to obey. That comfort may not ever fully satisfy. What ought to satisfy us and provide us comfort moment by moment is that Christ has accomplished our salvation. We ought to be careful that we don't say Christ made salvation possible. We ought to say Christ accomplished salvation for every person for whom he died. So Romans 3.31 is helpful. We establish the law. Paul in Romans chapter 3 has just finished saying these glorious words. If you remember, he says, But now a righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He's boldly preaching Christ, so he has to say in verse 31, are we doing away with the law? No. This law is the law that Christ died to uphold. This is the law that Christ perfectly obeyed according to his humanity that we may have a righteous record. This is the law which points us to Christ. And this is the law that is the death sentence to all those who look to it for life. Rather, the law has become a rule for us. So what does that mean? Well, it means that the Ten Commandments are the summary of our obedient lives before God. The Reformers would call this the third use of the law. The first and second uses, the law points us to our need for Christ. The law generally establishes in society less sin 
But thirdly, for the believer, the third use of the law is that we now take the law that we used to be under, the law that was our death sentence, and see that Christ has perfectly obeyed it, and now we desire, by his Spirit's aid, to live according to it, failingly as we will to glorify God. So all ten commandments, because the law is a unit, all ten commandments abide for us as a rule. Yes, the second commandment abides. How we worship God, how we image God is important. Yes, the fourth commandment abides. Think on this. For which of the commandments did Christ not die? Christ died for those who were idol worshipers. Christ died for those who were blasphemous. Christ died for those who didn't honor father and mother, who were murderers, who were adulterers. Christ actually died for Sabbath breakers. Why would we ever think that that for which Christ died has now suddenly become not important anymore? No, 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 no. The law as an entire unit is ours as a rule. But when we have murderous thoughts, even as his children, when we have adulterous thoughts, when we break Sabbath, we say, by God's grace, I'm resting on Christ. Forgive me, Lord, but I'm not looking to my own obedience for comfort before you for life. We can say with the psalmist in Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. We can say this glorious rule is serious to me. I want to obey because this is the law that my Savior loved. This is the law that he kept. This is the law that he, by his Spirit, has put in my heart. But this is not a law under which I am in covenant. So the law has become for the Christian a rule, a way of living, that which is a guide, but it is not a covenant. So tomorrow morning, when the music of the worship of Christ's people fade, when the taste of the Lord's Supper bread and wine leaves your lips, when you no longer have 120 other people to encourage you in the walk, when the sermons have ceased to echo in your ears, and you find yourself early in the morning or late at night, and you see in your own soul, as it were, looking in a mirror, continued sin. Or you see obedience desired. What are you expecting from that obedience? Are you expecting that that obedience will define your standing before the living God? Do you see yourself as in covenant with God through you? Or will you say with the Apostle Paul, through the law, I have died to the law. It killed me. It was done with me because I was a failure at it. Except the one who died, the one who stopped breathing, the one whose heart stopped beating as a penalty for sin was Christ. And by faith, I've been united to him. So I will not ever look to the law for life. I will not ever look to the law for justification. I will not look to the rigors of the law alone for my sanctification. I will look at Christ. 
And as I see myself united to him who died for me to uphold God's law, who lived for me to uphold God's law, I will say, this loving one has brought me all the way home. The golden chain of Romans chapter 8 is precious, isn't it? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, what did he do to them? Past tense. He also glorified. Now glorification doesn't happen until you and I are with Christ. The work of Christ is a work that is as good as done. So lean on him and then take up the rule of the law and love it because Christ loved it. And he's given it to you as a means for you to joyfully not find your rest. Find that in Christ. But to find the path forward for how to please the Christ who has already saved you. Christian, what are you looking at your obedience to give you? Said differently, in your darkest moments in the week ahead, as one who still breaks the law of God, when you fail this week, will you look at you or will you look at Christ? And if the answer is, I'm looking to Christ, rest there and then say to yourself, soul, my Christ who has saved me loved a reflection of the triune God's character, namely the ten words. I love those words. I love them. They're my meditation day and night but they're not my Savior. He is. So I love Him. And through Him, I love His law. Here under the law, no longer as a covenant, but as a rule. Let's pray. Living God, help us to take seriously first the Christ and then secondly, the law. Guard us from the error of looking to the law to save us. But also, we pray, guard us from the error of casting off the law even as a rule. Help us to find what the apostles have revealed to us by your Spirit, that we are freed from the condemnation of the law. We are freed from the demands of the law as a covenant. And now in the covenant of grace in Christ, the law has been given to us as a gracious rule. So we are debtors to mercy alone. But help us to value your law, to think on it, to not cut corners in it, to be serious about that with which Christ loved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.